Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Yesterday on the show, we talked in detail with Raleigh, North Carolina CIO Gail Roper about the planning and managing of the logistics for deploying broadband infrastructure. Uh, today, we're going to focus on um, applications, both for government use and for your various other stakeholders, particularly local businesses. Red Wing Minnesota has been a player in the fiber world actually for quite a while, starting in the, in the late 90s. And in 2004, I believe it is, thanks to a grant from the Blandon Foundation, Red Wing began exploring its broadband options in earnest uh, as a community-wide uh, project. In uh, 2009, the city adopted a resolution to support the efforts of Hiawatha Broadband Communications, which actually was an um, uh, early sponsor of, of this show, uh, getting them to pursue or helping them to pursue broadband stimulus money. And while that effort didn't bear the fruit that was hoped for, the need of the community and the business plan were so strong that Hiawatha decided to move forward with building a network and offering services in Red Wing, and the city government decided to build out a dark fiber network for its employee use. So joining us today, we have two guests uh, from, from Red Wing. One is Randy Olson, who's the executive director of the Red Wing Port Authority, and he has not only spent 20 years in business and economic development, but Randy is also on the board of directors for two early-stage technology companies. And our other guest, Laura Blair, is the division head of the city's information services department, and in this position, she's responsible for all of the voice, data, and other related technologies throughout the city government. And she's been in this position since 2001, so Laura has seen a bulk of the, the city's broadband evolution. So I'm happy to have both Randy and Laura on the show, and welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Craig. So let's start with a little more of the detail uh, on your history, because it is a, a fairly long history. I mean, I know we're going to talk about apps, but let's get a sense of you know where you started, which I understand you were sort of dabbling, or the city was dabbling in uh, fiber technology even in the, in the 90s, the late 90s. So let's just kind of pick it up from you, you, you tipped your toe in the water, and then people started looking at this thing rather seriously about the midway through the, you know, the 2000s, the early 2000s. Sure, I'd love to speak to that. The um, in, in the 90s, the city and the county uh, together put some fiber in the ground just to serve their own need in the downtown area. And in 2004, it was there about 2003, 2004, as we're paying that monthly T1 bill out to some of our remote facilities, I'm wondering, why did we stop building fiber? Um, we did it in the 90s, and we haven't made that investment any further. And so we started to look at it. Well, it was quickly uh, obvious that we have a school next to most of those remote facilities. So, in, and we're very close with the, the school system and, and their missions, and we said, well, maybe the school and the city together could 
put that fiber in the ground for just our own use. But at the same time, we have economic development and a port authority who said, well, wait a minute, why wouldn't you include economic development and the needs of all the residents and businesses and do a further, you know, expand that network further? So we went through many, many uh, revelations and, and, and uh different processes trying to figure out how we can make this work, really just starting from the fact that we're 42 square miles, we have uh, government facilities all over the city, and a big need to interconnect them all back to City Hall to run the applications that we currently use. Mm -hmm. So that was really the motivation from the standpoint of local government in trying to lead, and obviously along the way, we, we talked to different incumbent providers in town to say, would you be willing or able to help us with to fulfill this mission? And mm -hmm. they were always at the table with us, too. Gotcha. I'm going to actually interrupt you for one quick second. We seem like we have an early call here. Uh, hold on one second. Let's see what the scoop is. Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation. Do we have a caller on the line? Maybe we don't. Hmm. Either it was a wrong number or someone was trying to sell us broadband services. Hmm. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let, let, let's continue on. So, so you were just um, okay, the early days. Early, you had these folks around around the table, right? And at the same time, in about 2005, we were introduced actually at a Fiber to the Home conference in Las Vegas, Nevada, to Hiawatha Broadband Communications, who's our neighbor uh, down the river from here, and I think Gary Evans was a keynote at that particular conference we attended, and he approached us and said, we love Red Wing, we've always wanted to build out further, and so they became part of that process over the years and seeing if their board had a, a willingness to expand their business to Red Wing. And so in many cases as, over the years, they've told us no, they just couldn't find the business case to do it. And when they went through the stimulus money, and then we we did a number of different uh, projects trying to figure out should the city do the bonding and then have a a company like HPC manage the service. Um, there's always a lot of um, political issues around that, and we had a hard time getting anywhere. So we were thrilled when HPC decided to build a full fiber to the home network in Red Wing. It was really unexpected because. We had talked to them, and they just couldn't make that business need. But I think the thing that was the most important about what they did for the city is they came in not just as a provider wanting to, to sell business to uh, businesses or to sell their service to businesses and residents. They have a real um, passion for fulfilling vital public needs and the education of children in our schools and health care and communication needs for emergency management. All of those things were really important to HBC, just as they were to us. And that's why the partnership was really exciting to us, is because we knew we could come to the table and really work out some of the things from my standpoint, working in local gov in government, were really important to the city. Now, what was the, the turning point? You said, you know, initially they weren't... Um, they weren't interested in providing service, and then they, they, they changed after a while. Was, was there a particular uh, item that you put in a proposal or, or something changed in the uh, economics of the area? What, what was the what was the link? Well, I, I think you'd have to really go back to Gary Evans and his board to know that exactly. 
they looked at it very much from a business perspective, and I think they felt they could make a real business case for expanding up the river through Lake City to Red Wing. And um, I don't, I don't think there was anything particularly happening in uh, Red Wing that caused that change, other than we were denied the stimulus dollars, and that was a disappointment during that time. Mm-hmm. And we were put, we had put out a request for proposal. Um, to companies to build fiber to uh, all of our remote facilities and to see what it would cost to go ahead and do that because we did feel like we had come to the end of trying to get something built out community-wide. And mm-hmm. it really would be a question back to HBC's board, and but we're very grateful that they, they continued. And it was with Gary Evans being the, the passionate one that really wanted um, that expansion to Red Wing. Mhm. Now, in terms of the applications, which you know we'll talk uh, uh, about the U.S. Ignite program in, in a little bit, but in terms of applications, what was it that you were seeing uh, as as far as the main value of the network from an applications perspective? Should I go ahead and answer? No, no, no. no. You, can go ahead. you can go ahead and answer. I'm just going to let letting us know that we'll be getting to Randy in a little bit. I don't want to think that we're okay. Oh, sure. Well, the need is, it was so obvious when you're spending $500 a month for a T1 line to a multitude of facilities around the city, and you know that if you just could make that initial investment into fiber optics, and it only takes so many years to get that investment back, you're already spending the money on the telecommunications. That cost is already there in the budget. I really just wanted to shift and stop doing that and get the fiber optics in the ground. And we had a public works director at that time who's since retired and, and our current public works director who really believed that that was the answer for us. And the need application-wise is you're managing water treatments, wastewater treatment plants, um, marinas, cemeteries, um, many facilities around the city, a, a theater, a pool, all of those places are paying separate costs for all these communications costs, and if we could just build that fiber optic network, we could meet the need. And the applications were already in existence that we were using that we could just provide a more remote access to all of those facilities without trucks driving around to each and every lift station, to each and every treatment plant, checking on their equipment. We get it all interconnected, and it's more like that air traffic controller model where you can sit at your desk and really manage systems that are all over the city. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2005, when I wrote my uh, first book, uh, this one was dealing with municipal wireless, but you know, ultimately became broadband focused. Um, you know, I made the case that one of the two strong pillars for, in the business case for a broadband network was the uh, use by the of that network by the government to satisfy the needs of its employees, both mobile and in-office uh, uh, staff. And it sounds like that became, that government use became a primary pillar in, in your community developing the business case for uh, the, the fiber in, in your area. Is that correct? It really is. And the wireless, we did look really hard at that and, and, and actually talked to many vendors about what it would take to build a wireless network for public safety, 
for our public works youth. And our topography here is we're, uh, we've got bluffs, we're on the river, and we really felt um, that a technology, a fiber loop that we could then build some wireless off of was the best answer. So the mobile workforce in the city of Red Wing, in the community of Red Wing, a lot of them are government employees. And they have applications that they currently use today that they can take out into the field. And they knew that. Employees were very aware that, why can't I just take this application with me instead of printing out paper maps and into the field? So the need comes from them um, just as much as us wanting to correct that communications expense. Mm -hmm. Now, let's transition a little bit and talk about uh, U.S. Ignite, because I want to kind of unite these, uh, both the, the the government use side and then the other stakeholders. So U.S. Ignite, what was it, a year ago or so, came up with this, this great uh, event and announced all these various partners coming together to drop, uh, to um, kickstart applications, and, and a lot of those would be focused in the gigabit uh, realm. Uh, what was U.S. Ignite, you know, how was that viewed from Red Wing's perspective, and what exactly did the program entail? You know, because they, they were on my show um, uh, several months ago, and so we've gotten their story, their perspective. I want to see from a from a community standpoint, what were you looking at when U.S. Ignite came in, and now, in fact, you even have a group called Red Wing Ignite. So, so what what was all that about, uh, Randy? Well, the uh the city of Red Wing was notified back in June of 2012 that it uh, had become a community as part of the overall U.S. Ignite initiative. And what was uh, significant, I think, for the city uh, in, in looking at the other 24 communities, uh, they are largely major Randy, you still there? Yes. Okay. Uh, Red Wing was the smallest community to be nominated uh, as part of the U.S. Ignite uh, initiative. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a, a sense uh, with the city and uh, with other uh, stakeholders in the initiative that this was a, a true opportunity for Red Wing to uh, really position itself uh, as a uh, almost a case study community, because uh, what we do in Red Wing could be conceivably scaled to other markets uh, in the United States. And so, from the U.S. Ignite uh, initiative, uh, we have organized our local initiative called Red Wing Ignite, and uh, we uh, started that initiative about five months ago. And we're focusing on a very specific uh, project uh, that involves the uh, organization of a, of a business incubator and ultimately attracting uh, early-stage uh, technology companies uh, to Red Wing uh, as part of an overall economic development strategy.
I think we're having some trouble with the line there. It sounds like you just cut out. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Can can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I think what I'll do is just get closer to the uh receiver here then. Okay, we're ready whenever you are. So the Red Wing Ignite organization has been operational for about uh, uh, five months, and uh, we are, uh, as I said, we're uh, evolving a project that uh, involves the uh, organization of a business incubator that will be located in downtown Red Wing. And uh, our goal is to attract early-stage IT companies to the community as an overall economic development strategy. Okay. So in essence, you're driving the application development as part of an app, uh, as part of a drive to what start uh, generate startups to get businesses engaged in developing new applications. Where exactly was the tie between um, this Ignite program of de- developing apps and economic development? Well, the the development of apps is is hopefully something that can. Uh, I know there's a there's an open source protocol, but then there's also the the proprietary protocol, and, and, and we're hoping that the uh, the app market is one in which we can uh, really capitalize on the proprietary nature of of some of these applications, help these companies uh, raise money and attract talent and then to grow those businesses in Red Wing. Mm-hmm. I, I so, will say, too, Craig, that, uh, and you may know from your conversations with the folks at U.S. Ignite, that they have these uh, six national priorities uh, that involve public safety and health care, uh, transportation, uh, education, workforce, manufacturing, uh, and also uh, clean energy, and uh, many of the projects that are underway in the other uh, U.S. Ignite communities are really focused on one of these national priority areas. And we felt that in a community the size of Red Wing, uh, we would be hard-pressed to, to really focus on one of those initiatives. And so the business incubator also serves as an opportunity for several companies to enter the space of these national priorities and and to provide real world solutions. Mhm. Okay. All right. So it's it's um that was in essence you were basically creating a new path to play to the strength of of um Red Wing and to sort of ignore the fact that you were such a small uh community. In sort of in the big scheme of things. That is correct. Okay. And so now, so so okay. So we've established then the business side, which would then play to my, you know, feelings that you know once you look at the government side as a potential driver of of broadband networks, then you look to the business side and say, hey, well, you know, we've got these. Uh, all these de- economic development initiatives, and together that again, you know, drives the uh, d- drives the value of the network. So, and and just to be clear, um, from each of your perspective, you know, starting with Laura, do you see the um, 
I don't know, the, the results in, you know, uptake or, or increased use of the network as a result of your government applications, and also do you see an uptick in the use of the network resulting from the um, uh, U.S. Ignite relationship? Sure. I, definitely, the for starters, there's a real difference in Red Wing from the standpoint of our uh, incumbent providers and how they're approaching residents and even businesses in the services that they provide. I mean, I think we all know that competition spurs that innovation and uh, drive to provide a better service. And we've definitely seen that in town, and we're real fortunate because we were struggling. We didn't have what we needed to meet some real basic needs. I think that's changed tremendously. HBC is still in the first year of a three-year build out with their franchise agreement with the city. So they're 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 reaching a lot of businesses and residents, but they're still in the the, the business of, of building out the network and getting the fiber in the ground. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of at the beginning stages of that. But from a government standpoint, uh, we're saving a lot of money. We were paying, like I said, $500 for one T1 line. We had multiple T1 lines. And now, and and I found this interesting even when I looked at my notes before the call. We were sharing a three meg service to the internet with the county. Not only it was only about four years ago that we that was the limited capacity that we have. Mm-hmm. We now we now HPC is our uh, service provider for the city of Red Wing, and we purchased 25 megs from them. So we we're just thrilled with the the ability to get our our buildings connected and to apply, and actually we're, we're in the process of a number of applications that are sort of that next generation to be used out in our mobile workforce, especially with public works. They go to conferences, they see what's happening around the country in dealing with uh, water and wastewater treatment plants that are very technical, and that first service as local government that you want to have is to turn that water on in your bathroom or in your kitchen and that's very highly technical stuff. And we also have an incinerator that we provide services to, that provides services to the community. So those are um, applications that are we can barely stay ahead of as they come out. And we're just excited that without the infrastructure, if we continued on that path of talking about the need for fiber but never actually getting it in the ground to use it, we did that for years here. So this is a very pioneering time for us to say, okay, we got that done. HBC is here and putting that fiber in the ground for us. The city has its own fiber that we put in the ground that we're still using too. And it's sort of the sky's the limit now. You know, it's over-provisioned for what we're using it for right now, but the mm-hmm. innovation and the applications are right there, and we're ready for the future. And we really weren't a couple of years ago. Mhm. Interesting. Now, Randy, I know that with the uh with the incubator plans and and startups that this is kind of at the beginning. You've got you've only been at this for 5 months, but do you see these uh this startup initiative then leading to increased usage of the of the network and ultimately to, you know, the network being financially sustainable? We we really do. Uh you uh, probably don't know the specific geography of Red Wing, but we are 
uh, about 45 minutes away from the metropolitan area of Minneapolis and St. Paul, and mm-hmm. also about equal distance to uh, the city of Rochester, home of Mayo Clinic, uh, and several other communities that have uh, private and uh, public colleges and universities. And so uh, our marketing plan will be to reach out to these communities to attract these uh, early-stage companies to our, our business incubator. Our, our goal is to uh, help them grow in Red Wing and then uh, ultimately um, have them uh, exit from the business incubator and then to find appropriate space uh, elsewhere within the community. So this is a very deliberate uh, approach to diversifying our economy uh, and to really account for uh, the, uh, the technology opportunities that we feel are uh, available on a, on a regional basis for the community. Mm-hmm. Now let me switch back to uh, Laura for a second. Um, a question that that runs across uh, through my mind uh, quite a bit. You talked about the economic value of the network to the city in terms of it being able to replace T1 lines, and you mentioned all the various applications that the city is uh, the, the city runs. Is there a greater economic development impact to a community if the government is fully on board and fully maximizing? Uh, high-speed technology, do you think? <laughs> um, well, yes, I believe there is. Um, I, I don't think that the, I think that the need that we had as a, an employer in town, as, as the, you know, 250 employees working in public safety, in public work, working in buildings all around the city, providing services of, um, garbage pickup and snow removal and all of the technology that goes into doing all of those things, I thought we were sort of the beginning driving force in all of that. And in a lot of cities or communities where you have a government center and employees all work out of one building and they don't have a centralized uh, information services department like we have here that's managing all of those different moving parts, maybe it is a little bit different. But we are rural, yet we are a pretty large area, and the economic growth or the economic uh, development gain that we get in the city because the city needed it. And that was sort of the criticism that we got in the beginning was, why would you just meet your own needs? Why wouldn't you meet the needs of the school? And then why wouldn't you meet the needs of the business owners? And we heard from business owners like Red Wing Software where their experience spending $2,000 a month on um, T1 lines to try to get their software product uploaded out into the business world. And could you imagine a Red Wing software company having to leave Red Wing because they didn't have the infrastructure? And that's what that owner was facing. So I think you have to work together. I am a strong believer in the public-private. We went down that road of should the city build it and do bonds for it, and we were sort of crucified in the public arena for even suggesting such a thing. But nobody was coming. And if HBC hadn't decided to come, no one would still be here. We would still be facing the same problems and looking at 
the feasibility of building it ourselves and getting someone to to run it and manage it, having that public-private partnership. So, yes, I believe government has a, a very big role in providing public vital services to the citizens and, and taking a leadership role in getting that technology in your area. Mm-hmm. So, and so I live in town, so I knew as a resident that I wasn't getting what I wanted. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm not from Red Wing, so I was a newly transplanted person here and thought, how can you stand not having better service and it's so expensive what we are paying for? So I kind of wore two hats throughout the process, and I sort of was demanding better service from my own home. Mm-hmm. By the way, are the are the uh, utilities public there, gas, electric, and so forth? Uh, no, we have Excel Energy. We the city does the uh, garbage pickup. Okay. What about water? Is that a public utility, private utility? Yes. Yes, water, public. Has there been? Um, have they been? You know, among the various departments, uh, one of the more aggressive users of the of the network. Well. From my perspective, yes, okay. <laughs> because their their needs are so great. The the facilities that these uh, employees are managing and running are highly technical. They need um, access to the internet to deal with their own vendors and their own application providers. And we really struggled. Not that many years ago, we were trying to accomplish some of that on dial-up and C1 lines. Mm-hmm. So definitely, and I think it's also just because of the nature of our city being 42 square miles and spread out so far that getting everything connected into one centralized system, which is what we've been working on doing the past year or so, really helps from the standpoint of efficiency. You don't really need to have guys running around in trucks just as quite as much when they can see all of their facilities at one workstation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I bring this up yesterday, uh, unrelated to my show yesterday, but uh, someone called me and we got into this discussion about uh, the utilities, the value of utilities. Should we be paying more attention to getting our utilities engaged in uh, building fiber networks because a lot of utility owners, uh, I don't know if this is more prevalent in the private uh, utilities versus the public utilities, but there tends to be the the lifers and folks who are, you know, they've got a system that works. They're not very um, interested in, in newer newer technology. And so, you know, do we, do we serve ourselves well, you know, as in communities looking at these networks, do they serve themselves well by looking at the utility and say, look, th- these guys need to be one of our primary users. They need to be one of our primary, you know, drivers and advocates to other departments within uh, within the city, within the you know the public sector. Uh, any thoughts on that from your perspective? From from my perspective, I do. I think that in some aspects, you create a monster when you show. Uh, some technology, and, and we're well connected in our own industries with the conferences that we go to, and mm-hmm. then they come back and say, could we do this? And we say, well, someday we'll be able to do that if we just had a network infrastructure that could support that. So they are driving it, and once they see, gosh, I have wireless when I'm sitting in this building, I really need wireless when I'm standing on the street, and we do have um, fire department using 
tablets out in the field, but when they pull into the fire station, they're connecting to the wireless to send their report to their um, software provider. And mm -hmm. the same with the police department. They have cameras in, the, in their um, vehicles, but they have to pull up next to the building and connect to the wireless that's on that building to send that video. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, we have a lot of things in place once we can get um, the wireless available to them out in the street. And yeah, in my opinion, sitting in this centralized place in City Hall and dealing with all of our employees around the city, their demand is what's really driving um, my voice and going out and seeing what can we do to get this built because there is a strong need in providing the service to the citizens. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to do when you're when you're disconnected from each other all over the city. It's really hard to do. Right. No, I fully understand. Um, Randy, now one of the things that has intrigued me uh, is this um, focus on incubators. Uh, in general discussions about broadband and economic development, you know, you talk to cities and they get into general discussions about, you know, well, we were attracting these businesses and this industry and this and that, and they kind of have this big picture view. The thing that I saw, in fact, Gary Evans sent me a note uh, last week, and he talked about the the incubator. Like This was sort of the, the crown jewel, if you will, of the strategy of the Red Wing Ignite uh, project. And, and I found it interesting because I'm in the middle of doing a needs assessment for a small town in Iowa, and as we have gone through the, the exercise and talking to stakeholders, this idea of creating a, a building, like taking some building that may not even be in great use at the moment and converting it into a, a, a mecca of ideas and, and sorting through ideas and processing ideas and creating startups, out of that building is what people are starting to coalesce around as that should be the unifying vision to get it off the ground. Now, they have greater visions for other businesses and so forth, but it's like the the, the building, the space it has become uh, like almost like a keystone here. Is that how you got to this idea of, of um, focusing on this incubator aspect of it, and do you see it as you know, as almost like a linchpin into your your overall uh, business attraction strategy? Well, we feel that uh, it's very, very important to have a, a, a physical presence for the Red Wing Ignite initiative. And uh, it just so happened that, uh, that the, the city uh, uh, owned a building or owns a building uh, that is uh, uh, underutilized, and uh, uh, ultimately uh, became a uh, uh, almost an ideal site for a, uh, a business incubator uh, and to improve the facility uh, fairly cost-effectively. Um, I will say that the real estate of a business incubator is just one aspect of how you attract businesses to your community. Uh, we're still evolving what I call the secret sauce, but how do we leverage the relationships of uh, U.S. Ignite, uh, for example, tenants that come to our building? How, how do we expose our businesses to sources of capital uh, that are interested in funding uh, early-stage IT companies? Uh, what do we do to promote events 
and and to bring people to the building that may not really understand anything about IT or to uh, uh, understand the the, uh, the the tenants uh, within the building themselves. And so, we we feel that the real estate is uh, uh, sort of our linchpin. But there are all these other components that have to come together as part of an overall strategy. And then I, I will say, uh, Craig, that we are also organizing a community equity fund and to raise a, uh, a fund that would uh, – it, it's going to be a separate entity. It won't be dedicated to Red Wing Ignite. But uh, if we say to these uh, – early stage entrepreneurs, uh, we have space that you're going to find very attractive from a leasing standpoint. Oh, and by the way, we have a source of funding that might be able to provide you with the necessary financial resources to grow your, your business in Red Wing. Uh, that's going to be, those are going to be very powerful messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're starting to break up a little bit. I don't know if there's a, okay. there's a problem with the line. I think we caught all the what you just said. I just but what there is is I just don't want it to get any, I don't want it to get any worse if we can avoid it. Sure. Okay, clear now, sounding clearer. Okay. All right. So okay, so you you've uh, it, it sounds like then you put a, definitely a lot of uh, thought into the progression of this um, uh, of this incubator. Now you mentioned a funding source. Would the funding source come from local investors, or have you reached out to a VC somewhere else and said, hey, take a look at this project in our city, in our town? We're starting with uh, local investors, uh-huh. and, and those are both individuals uh, and institutions. And we've, we've actually hired somebody that has uh, organized these funds in other communities in, in other parts of the country to give us some guidance uh, of how we go about uh, both prospecting and, and also ultimately recruiting these investors. And uh, our, our goal, uh, given the profile of the community, is to raise anywhere from a million to three million dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, uh, we understand, and again working with this consultant, that when all is said and done, uh, about a third of our investors will probably not be actually located in Red Wing per se, but they have some affinity to the community. Maybe they grew up and graduated from high school and now are living elsewhere. Uh, they, they may have uh, some other reason for uh, in investing in the fund because of a relationship that's in place uh, uh, in Red Wing. So, uh, so we are, uh, again, in the early stages of fundraising, uh, but we have uh, some initial commitments from uh, about seven individuals. Uh, our goal would be to uh, increase that number to uh, somewhere between 20 and 30, and, uh, and then we would organize a limited liability company uh, and assign uh, basically uh, ownership shares based on the, uh, the individual subscription amounts in the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, let me pose a question. This one's to, to, to both of you. Could you envision, uh, say, an, 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 a linking of networks specifically to facilitate, call it what Midwestern state local governments, 
uh, in essence, coming together through one link of all these various uh, fiber networks in you know Wisconsin and Michigan and, and rural parts of Minnesota as a way to um, strengthen the ability of these governments to operate, operate efficiently, and serve the, the public. On the private sector side, could a similar kind of network of networks or, or some linking of these networks also be created to drive um, small town incubators in a bunch of Midwestern states? So we'll, we'll start with Laura and then, then Randy, you can talk on, on your side of the question. Well, the, the question makes sense from the standpoint had the city had to build that fiber network themselves. We mm-hmm. did look at how, where can we find partners, who can we partner with. We had many discussions with Goodhue County, with Dakota County. They have a very rich uh, history of building fiber optics in Dakota County, and we know that group well, and how could we work together. It changes it a little bit, to, I guess, in my eyes, and, and maybe I don't know enough about that side of it. When the private company of HPC came in and built that, it changes that collaboration a little bit, but hey, let me interrupt a second, Laura. Laura, excuse me, interrupt. Um, your your connection starting to break up. I don't know if it's because you're on a cell or what might be the solution, but okay. Now it's I'll better. Try. I'm not, okay, I'm not good. Did, but now it's better. Thank you. All right. Um, it it might have been my microphone. See, um, the collaboration that we that's available to us now, just because we can reach out and do video broadcasting and do streaming and connect to um, other cities, all of that possibility exists because we're not sharing a three-meg connection to the Internet with the county anymore. We actually have a real decent pipe to the Internet. So um, I guess that's my limited answer to that question. Right. Well, this is really a, a, you know, sort of an off-the-cuff the thought that just occurred to me. But, uh, you know, because I'm looking at... Um, in a number of communities, even when they don't have uh, a fiber network that serves the general community, you often find governments that have connected their buildings and so forth with fiber in order to, you know, to, to communicate more effectively, move data back and forth, and, and do video conferencing and all of that. And so it was just like, well, why not just, you know, create sort of this umbrella of of links so that because communities collaborate all the time you know like local governments you know not beyond just going to conferences there seems to be a lot more collaboration between government entities than there are say between private sector entities you know sharing of best practices and that kind of thing so you know in my mind i'm just sort of thinking well then isn't the next logical leap is to bring that that collaboration to a fiber you know a, a host of fiber connections and then, uh, and then, Randy, we'll move to your question. But you know, yours in particular, I was thinking about, in the, uh, as I read recently about this idea of Silicon Prairie, where um, there's an effort in states like Kansas and Wisconsin and so forth to to uh, create a uh, high tech environment similar to Silicon Valley and 128 Corridor in Boston. And so, you know, given how you know the remoteness of a lot of these cities and uh, towns. You know, whereas in Silicon Valley, the towns are all next to each other. You can drive from one to the other, and that helped develop Silicon Valley. But in the Midwest, we have a different geographical issue. And so, wouldn't it make sense then if you know you're creating this 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 cool incubator in Red Wing, and someone well, like the community I'm working with, Hatumwa, uh, you know, and other 
small communities that you, in essence, link those incubators. You use the, the fiber network to create, you know, a great umbrella, if you will, a digital umbrella, and then foster even greater um, business development. But you've been in business development for a long time, so you tell me if this is all making sense. I, I think it's a I think it's a great concept, uh, and, and I will say that uh, uh, we, we'd love to work with you on your project in Iowa. That's not too far away. <laughs> and, but, uh, but but that being said, uh, part of what the U.S. Ignite initiative is all about is to share best practices among the 25 communities. And so, for example, uh, early on, I was introduced to a uh, an individual uh, who happens to be a real estate developer in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga is one of the 25 communities, and he'd been very instrumental in uh, in organizing uh, three business incubators in in the Chattanooga market. And one was private, one was a uh, a, a city uh, financed, and and another one was sort of a hybrid. And so, you know, to be able to talk to him, uh, pros and cons on financing and organizational structure, uh, recruitment, uh, I mean, that was just huge. It was just absolutely huge. And uh, this whole notion of being able to use – Fiber in a way to uh, not only connect to other business incubators, but then to look at at these best practices in a way that uh, is is really uh, non-competitive in nature, but uh, helps all of us achieve these uh, goals of of economic development and, and business development more efficiently. I think that's really very very attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will say too that we, uh, as part of our uh, awareness, uh, th- there were uh, uh, several trips that were organized to the, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area to visit incubators and uh, uh, co-working co-location sites, and to better understand their business models. And uh, we have uh, now ongoing relationships with those organizations to uh, understand, uh, again, what they are doing successfully and, and probably what wasn't so successful in terms of implementation. So uh, the other uh, plug I will give here is to an organization. It's an actually international organization that uh, I think is based in Ohio called the, the National Business Incubation Association. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we will become a member of that association, but you can go on to that organization's, uh, they have a listserv, and you can throw out a question to all the members, and then you can typically get, you know, 20 or 30 responses to an issue or problem that you might have. So it's definitely the shape of things to come, uh, how, how we uh, really utilize the fiber more effectively, I think, is the is the question mark, but um, I, I, I would say that the uh, goal of an Ignite community uh, is to share best practices, and in a fairly open way. So, mm-hmm. so far, so good in terms of our ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Let me ask a question to uh, both of you. We're going to change the direction a little bit, though we'll still be talking about economic development. Um, I've been ab- uh, advancing this idea that 
when we look at telemedicine, telehealth, using you know gigabit networks to deliver better healthcare services, that this is an economic development effort as much as it's a health issue. Um, because I feel like if you have healthier people, you have healthier employees, you know, there's greater productivity all around. There's If there's great health care, there's a bigger draw for uh, businesses to move to an area. So from your perspective, you know, is this right? Should we be looking at uh, telemedicine, telehealth as an economic development uh, issue or strategy? Uh, we'll start with Randy this time and then go to Laura. Most definitely, uh, and, and that, as you know, uh, is a very crowded space right now. There are a lot of uh, companies that are providing solutions in that space, uh, but what I have seen evolve from a, a sort of traditional telemedicine approach where the focus is really on healthcare, care uh, is to uh, companies that are evolving networks and these networks can function for not only healthcare providers, but for government entities, for faith-based organizations. So, in other words, how is it to uh, to really provide uh, connectivity to constituent groups? And uh, again, I think it's all part and parcel of uh, making people healthy and more informed and. Uh, uh, that that all contributes to uh, to economic development in a more strategic way. Mm-hmm. Laura, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I would ditto everything Randy just said. I think that that we've seen when, when we attend some of these conferences and future apps and see what telemedicine is doing. Obviously, as someone in their fifties, I look at that and think, whatever will keep you in your home and keep you healthy longer and you know, we're very fortunate in Red Wing to have a state-of-the-art healthcare system right here in town, but there's a lot of things you do have to leave town to have uh, accomplished. So if you can have, for, to me personally, if I know that my facility here in town has connectivity to facilities all over the country or all over the state, any anywhere that uh, expert is, it's very comforting to me to know that. It's very unnerving when you're thinking about uh, x-ray being driven in the car to Rochester to a, a clinic that has the specialist there that can look at it. If you don't have the connectivity in your community, you're really going to be struggling with even dental records that you might have here that need to be given to the surgeon in Mayo. That needs to happen instantaneously, not because it's driven there uh, in someone's vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's really exciting and one of the most important uh, advancements when you see those applications in place, it, it's exciting stuff. Interesting. Now, um, you know, I'm going to regress here for for a brief moment because for the last 24 hours or so, I've been trying to figure out. You know, when I was reading your bio, uh, Laura, you know. It, one of the areas of responsibilities and you know for all this tech stuff that you do is cemeteries and i can't <laughs> figure out so where is there the intersect between technology and cemetery i mean are we putting like wireless devices on the on the headstones cuz i mean oh I'm, boy <laughs> <laughs> you know that is so funny that you would pick up on that because we 
have a very sophisticated, we, we have city-owned cemeteries, and they're historical, national historical sites. Uh-huh. So um, you go up there, and you want to know where your great-grandfather lives, and you find the, the nice man that works there, and they go through books and paperwork, and they figure it out. What we're doing up there, <laughs> so now, you know, the idea is to have a kiosk that you can uh-huh. walk up to, just like at a national uh, cemetery like Fort Snelling. You walk up to this kiosk and you can put information in and find that loved one. But we have a public works person who's so passionate about that database that they've now added, in addition to finding the name that's on that headstone, you can click on it and you can get a picture of that headstone. And the it's just simply a service to our community residents who really see that as a valuable historical you know, Red Wing has people that have lived here three, four generations. That means a lot. And to be able to do, it's on our website, to be able to physically search those um, cemeteries online and then see a picture, too. It's not very glamorous um, work, but it's sure a cool uh, application when it's put together. And uh-huh. we've, spent a lot of, we've spent a lot of time on that, too. So it's good that you pick up on that because why do you need fiber to a cemetery? <laughs> well, there's a there's a couple of reasons. <laughs> it is a business that you're running too, so they have services that they need. But we really wanted to make it kind of an interactive um, area, and the fiber to the cemetery honestly leads to a city facility and a school on the other side. So you're yeah. passing through. You might as well see what you can do there. So, so full cradle to grave service. <laughs> exactly. Well, you'll hear it here fo- first, folks. When I go, I want to have a wireless access point on my headstone just to make sure some people come by every once in a while. Yeah, and there isn't a stay po- for a while, you know. <laughs> it's not a podcast opportunity, maybe. You really. <laughs> All right. To the more to the more mundane aspect of broadband. Now um, we've got about five minutes, and I want to spend a second here talking about. Um, personal economic development, uh, which, you know, it's sort of it's talked about in general, but I don't think anyone sort of classifies it as what do we do to help individuals, in essence, increase their earning power, you know, and, and you know, it's getting better education, it's getting, uh, uh, you know, access to better job sources, job training, so forth and so on. What applications do you see, and you can each take two minutes for this one, uh, which applica- what kind of applications do you see either on the government side, or in Laura's case, or on the private sector side that will help individuals' economic development? Laura, go. Oh, um For me personally, having access to online classes and being able to take a class really virtually in any uh, educational facility that I would want to, Mm -hmm. that's from a personal uh, standpoint. But education in town here, when when states mandate to their schools that you have to do online testing and then they do nothing to provide an infrastructure to allow uh, 150 students to log into the network to take that online testing, education kind of falls apart because they can't meet that mandate. So not only do you want to have your schools able to, to do that, but you want to have the, the kids and the parents able to connect to the schools. We have a lot of, we're a very rural um, area here, and there's a lot of places that aren't served. They will be eventually, and they need to be able to connect to their own 
even to their own high school and their own community to access all the educational data that's there. So it, it's kind of twofold, just right within our town and then what we all want as professionals in furthering our education and not being close to some of those uh, facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy, where, where, what kind of applications do you see on the, on the private sector side that will impact um, personal economic development? Well, I think uh, we feel that this uh, this infrastructure advantage that that Red Wing has for its size has a a, a limited horizon. Uh, it'll be you know only a matter of years before other communities catch up. So uh, we need to be very aggressive to uh, recruit uh, businesses to Red Wing, and then given the profile of these early stage entrepreneurs. We're suspecting that many of them have not started businesses before. So what can we do in our toolbox to help them be more successful, help mitigate some of the risk in, in starting and growing a business? So, you know, as I said earlier, it's developing these, uh, these secret sauce ingredients uh, about access to capital, about uh, relationships and uh, uh, having, having contacts, for these uh, business owners that they otherwise would not have, uh, and and so it's uh, it's really determining that value add to the the real estate and and some of the other physical things that are coming together for us as part of Red Wing Ignite. Uh, so uh, the infrastructure provides us with the, the the platform, so to speak. But then it's how do we build upon that platform in a in a very efficient and effective way, knowing that we, we probably aren't going to have the infrastructure advantage for, you know, more than 10 years. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that advantage might be, but uh, there will be a time when uh, communities throughout the United States, urban, rural, and in between, are, are all going to have this commodity standard of, of broadband. And we're obviously not there yet, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give Randy the last word, one minute, because we're almost at the end of the show. Has the U.S. Ignite program been, from your perspective, a successful um, program? Well, so far it's been wonderful. Uh, We've been at it for about six months. Uh, It's a five-year program. Uh, 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 We're learning along the way. Uh, I think the the overall national initiative is, is also evolving. Uh, there will be a conference uh, this next summer, I believe, in Chicago, where the 25 communities will come together and we'll talk about what they have done over the, the, the first year of operation. Uh, the, uh, the, the office in, in Washington continues to provide us with access to uh, new resources, to new contacts, so uh, from my perspective, it's, uh, it's been a pretty fast-changing but a very, very positive relationship thus far. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And with that, we're going to wrap, but I want to thank uh, Laura and Randy for joining us and giving us some great insights for the application side of broadband. Uh, thank you very much. It's been very invaluable having you guys on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And. Thank you. Uh, 
Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. Uh, thank you very much also to our audience for being with us again. Uh, next week we're going to have an interesting series of shows. We're going to look at Columbus, uh, Ohio. Uh, we're going to look at economic development fundraising, which is going to probably be one of our most popular shows this year. All right, so anyway, have a great day, folks, for joining us. We'll talk to you again uh, next week. Take care. <laughs>